Welcome back to On the Ground with Samaritan's Purse, where we take you to the front lines and behind the scenes of our work around the world. I'm your host, Christy Graham, and last week we took you to the front lines as we went to Cambodia. And today we're taking you behind the scenes, and I'm excited to share a conversation I had with Dave Phillips. Dave currently serves as Deputy Director of the International Projects, and he's worked in many different roles in many different countries, as we're going to talk about in this episode. You might recognize his voice if you've been listening to our show for a while. He's been on many times, but today he has the chance to share more of his story and his heart for the work. I love talking to Dave. He is completely surrendered, and I love the way that his family is willing to go wherever they are called. I hope the stories that that we talk about today are evidence of the Lord's faithfulness, and they challenge you where God is calling you today. Thank you for coming on. Um, Thank you. It's and great so to, to be start, here. I know you've been with Samaritan's Purse for a long time. How did you get involved with Samaritan's Purse, and maybe what was your first job? Well, thank you. And uh, it's so great to be here and looking forward to this conversation. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a Christian home, and I remember hearing about Samaritan's Purse a mm-hmm. long time ago. Uh, so for years, I was doing uh, mission work, and over those years, just mm-hmm. kind of saw that Samaritan's Purse was there and saw the work that the Graham family was doing. So that was always really important to me. And um, I was in Haiti uh, after the 2010 earthquake, and I had gone down there with a team uh, that was working at an orphanage, and uh, I had a, a, a friend of mine who was actually they, – they were a partner of mine as a, as a missionary, and they sent, used to send me money. And they said, you got to come and see the Samaritan's Purse team. So I was on my way from the orphanage to mm-hmm. the airport to fly back uh, to the U.S., and I stopped at the Samaritan's Purse compound. And Ken Isaacs sort of butted his way into the <laughs> into the conversation, and he was like, hey, I'm Ken Isaacs, and what's your name? And we talked for a while, and he said, well, we have a food program going on. And he's like, well, <laughs> do you want a job? <laughs> and so I said, hmm. uh, okay. And so hmm. I just committed to staying for a couple of months, and that was 2010, 13 years ago. Hmm. And I uh, was in Haiti and ended up meeting Gabby, my wife, in Haiti, hmm. and we got married. And then we ended up going to South Sudan, where I was country director for uh, three years. Uh, and then we had a little boy and moved to Turkey, mm-hmm. where we worked as the country director for Samaritan's Person Turkey. Uh, and then we came here to headquarters in 2016, uh, where we've been since then. Wow. Okay. So much to dive into from each of those. I love hearing your story that you weren't even looking to work with Samaritan's Person, but God you know, orchestrated definitely. Um, and brought you for such a time as this. And then I think each response has prepared you for the next response and the next job. And I just love, yeah, the way you've just willingly served in any and every role God's given you. So I guess Haiti first, how did that prepare you spiritually, mentally, you know, for for what you did thereafter? Yeah. Yeah, Haiti is so much brokenness and so much pain there. And um, after the earthquake, um, there was uh, really the entire society was crushed Mm-hmm. Uh, almost, you know, physically, metaphorically, uh, by what had happened, and so uh, it was the first time for me being a part of a mass effort to help people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, d- uh, doing mission work before joining with Samaritan's Purse, we had done small scale water projects, or we'd help people in, in small ways, and now we were talking about providing food to ten thousand people a day. Mm-hmm. And so we were doing um, these food distributions in City Soleil, which is known as the most dangerous neighborhood in the Western Hemisphere. So there's a lot of gang violence there. And then when the when the earthquake happened, you had the gang violence on top of 
all of the markets being destroyed, people not having access to food, all of the water systems being um, damaged, the medical system completely collapsing, etc. Mm-hmm. So we'd call up the trucks and get the food loaded on one vehicle and then call up the U.S. military and get them to help us with a convoy. And then we'd coordinate with the local mayor's office and the local churches. And so we uh, we brought all these things together and we'd just do these massive food distributions right in downtown uh, City mm-hmm. Soleil. And so you had to make sure you got all the food distributed before the gangsters mm-hmm. woke up or things started getting real dangerous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we started, woke up at six and then we thought, no, we don't wake up at five. And, mm-hmm. and then we figured out we, we were waking up at like 3 a.m. every day to make sure mm-hmm. we got all the food out to people that were hungry mm-hmm. uh, down ter- there in Port-au-Prince. So it was pretty pretty uh, exciting and also mm-hmm. incredible to, to do all that in Jesus' name, which is really what was uh, made it so significant. Mm-hmm. And Samaritan's First, we still have a country office there, and we still do a lot of work there, you know, and the earthquakes. And we've, so I think, it again, it makes you what you do now from here, you have the empathy and compassion because you know the country mm-hmm. and the culture and the people. I love the way that God, yeah, prepared you for mm. what you're doing now. Um, so now let's move to South Sudan. What led you to kind of move over there, and then what were you doing in South Sudan? Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, I was uh, after Haiti, uh, trying to convince Gabby to marry me. She mm-hmm. eventually said yes. So I was focusing on that, and I got a mm-hmm. call that there was a huge movement of refugees happening, mm-hmm. and they were leaving Sudan and coming into what at that time was the the newest country in the world, which was South Sudan. Mm -hmm. And independence had only happened uh, on July 11th of 2011. Mm -hmm. uh, And this was uh, just a a couple of weeks later. And nobody knew where the refugees were, but they had sort of a region of where they thought they might be. So they said, can you go try to find find these people? So I flew into Juba, into the capital, and we have aviation capacity in the region. And, uh, and we put a four-wheel drive quad bike on the back of the uh, caravan. And uh, my uh, friend, Jared Kenyara, now d- a dear friend, and I, we flew on the caravan and just sort of looked all over the place in this, uh, this massive area about the size of Connecticut, trying to find uh, a huge movement of refugees. We couldn't find them from the air. So we landed in the furthest northern airstrip uh, there in South Sudan and unloaded the quad bike and just drove into uh, into the forest looking for these refugees. Mm-hmm. And South Sudan is actually the largest swamp in the world. Mm-hmm. So half of the year, it's a lot of it's underwater. So we're just driving through these uh, essentially like swamp fields and stopping and asking, hey, have you seen the refugees? Do you know where the refugees are? And we're driving north towards the border of Sudan. And as we're getting closer, you could start to hear the sound of the artillery which was the the government of Sudan fighting with what was then the um, Sudan People's Liberation Movement, so the mm-hmm. the people uh, that were trying to protect this, the civilians from these attacks. So you could hear the sound of warfare as we approached um, the border. And I remember getting towards the end of that first day of driving, there was a, a sort of a change in the, the topography. Mm-hmm. So we got out of the swampy area onto like a higher elevation, sort of red sandy soil, and then we saw a family under a tree, and then two families, and then four families. And then we came to this old, it was what it was, is a British outpost where they had built a little school, and mm-hmm. there was a well there. And this was the, uh, the point, it was called Ida, Y-I-D-A, mm-hmm. and it was the furthest point south that the people of the Nuba Mountains, who were the refugees, could come and not hit that swamp. And so they're from the mountains, and they were coming south. And we found them uh, in this place right along right along the border. And at that time, right when we first arrived, it was maybe about four or five thousand people that were living there. And uh, mm. over the next 
uh, hours, we started doing assessments and figuring out what was happening and found out they needed food and uh, organized with uh, the aviation team again and figured out we could drop food to these people on the ground. And but we had to we had to cut a big chunk of the forest out in order mm-hmm. to create a drop zone because it was a thick forest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the problem was is that these people hadn't eaten in weeks. Mm-hmm. So we went back down into the swamp and bought cows from the the Dinka tribe that were living in in the, mm-hmm. in the swamp, and everybody got a handful of beef, and they ate this beef. And then the next morning they're like, "All right, we're going to cut the forest." So they cut this square chunk of the forest out, which is what we needed to drop food. And I'll never forget this Mm. guy, Ishmael, who was the leader. He said, all right, we've all eaten from these cows, but today the biggest cow will come flying through the air and drop food for all of us, for the community. (laughs) And so uh, it did. The DC-3 came and dropped food uh, for these people in Ida. And uh, it was it was still to this day one of the most incredible things that I've ever been a, been able to be a part of is seeing all the gears of Samaritan's Purse start working uh, to provide food. We did a, we had a water program. We had a program of uh, malnutrition for the kids, and just seeing the Lord uh, touch those people's lives in such a tangible way. And mm-hmm. and really, a lot of people came to Christ. A lot of churches were planted and. An incredible work was done in Ida because Samaritan's Purse was able to go there and mm-hmm. do all that. Wow. The impacts of war are so great. I'm sure it was hard to witness that, hard mm-hmm. to see these people come in the way that they were, and then you have so much work to do. H- mm-hmm. How do you guys do that? And I guess spiritually, how how did the Lord sustain you to live in that level of crisis? Yeah. One of the, one of the hardest things for me was to deal with um, the kids that were hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, the technical term is, uh, is SAM, severe acute malnutrition. Uh, and so these, these kids often when they arrive, they would have had to have been walking for days or some of them weeks. Uh, and so the, the youngest and the most vulnerable that are moving and having to flee because of violence are going to suffer the most. And so the kids would get to us and, and they were just skin and bones. And a child would get to a certain point where they can't eat normal food. Uh, because their uh, their stomachs become distended and their body can't process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they become susceptible to disease. So you can get SAM with complications. And so at that point, um, it becomes a different type of intervention. So you're really trying to bring that kid back from the edge. Um, we couldn't save all those kids. Mm-hmm. And that was the hardest thing that I had ever dealt with. And still to this day, I know there's kids that die of starvation, but they were there with me, hmm. right, in that place. And so that was uh, that was a moment for me and the Lord that we had to work through. I wanted to read mm-hmm. Psalm 139. Mm-hmm. And um, this is like King David, and he's, it's like so beautiful how he talks about um, intimacy with God. And the Lord knows me, and He knows my my getting up and my lying down. And then He He talks about in verse uh, ten, you know, if I go to the uh, to the darkness, if I go to the you know to Sheol, even there Your hand will guide me. And He says, um, Surely the darkness shall fall on me; even the night shall be light about me. Even darkness shall not hide from You, but the night shines as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to You. And so I think about that, and then at the end of, this, of, the, of the passage, he starts talking about how much he hates the wicked, mm-hmm. which I th- it was so encouraging to me that, he's, that King David was that honest. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. there's darkness, and I know you're here, God, but I hate the wicked, and I hope that you kill them. 
right? That's what, that's what David says mm-hmm. at the end of, of Psalm 139. Mm-hmm. I hope you kill the wicked people. Mm-hmm. And the thing about when I was in Eda, it's like those kids, they weren't starving to death because there wasn't enough food. Mm-hmm. They were starving to death because evil men were fighting and dropping bombs on them. That's mm-hmm. why they were starving. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a lack of resource. It was the actions of evil people. Mm-hmm. And so th- this prayer to me, it became like, I, I want to try to do everything I can to help those kids, but the injustice of it is so overwhelming. But yet here's an example in scripture of a man, a warrior, who just turns mm-hmm. to God and say, I can be this honest with you in mm-hmm. prayer, Lord. I hope you kill these people, mm-hmm. right? And then you turn it over to the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the one who will make the judgment at the end of history about all of our actions, even mm-hmm. mine, the ones mm-hmm. that I need to be judged for. Mm-hmm. Um, so surrendering that and really the judgment of God in a way became mm-hmm. very comforting to me. The judgment of God is that he will wipe away every tear from our mm-hmm. eyes. He, there will be no more sorrow and no more mourning and no more uh, shame. He will he will make right all these things that have gone wrong, including this, those little kids, mm-hmm. you know, that were that were dying not for nothing that they did, but because of the decisions of, of wicked and evil people. And God will. It's not my job to make it right. Mm-hmm. He will He will make it right. It's my job to love them in the name of Jesus and share the gospel with them and to be there in their moment of crisis. Um, and so go, having to live in that environment really challenged the way that I thought about God's judgment, his love, his mercy, and what he was calling me to do hmm. with my life. Wow. So many things I want to dive into that, from that, but I think that gives a great even just overview of why we do what we do. As humans, it's normal and natural to to hate this evil and this destruction, both man-made and natural. And it's something so hard we can't even fathom here as humans. Um, but that's why he sent his son, you know, and that's why Samaritan's purse. That's why G- going in Jesus' name is first and foremost um, what and why we do it um, because of the gospel. Mm. I feel like we could probably spend a whole hour on South Sudan, but I want to kind of move through your, your entire timeline. Is there anything else that you didn't share or a story no. or something? You know, I, I just I love South Sudan, and I just would ask people to pray mm. for, for South Sudan and for countries like it mm-hmm. that are so broken that from the outside, the question would be, well, why are we still helping? Mm. Or when are they going to get their act together? And the, the answer I always have to that is that God didn't call us to set a timeline for other people's mm. uh, relationship to Him and, and when they get their problems fixed. He's called us to love people with wisdom. And as long as God gives us the resources and calls us to do it, I think we have to be obedient to, to faithfully serve in the ways that he, that he calls us to. So, yeah, please pray for South mm-hmm. Sudan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the conflict is still ongoing. Still there. Yeah, um, still happening. Okay, so how long were you in South Sudan, and then when did God move you and stir you to Turkey? Uh, so we were there for, for three years, wow. and uh, we may have st- stayed longer, uh, uh, but we were expecting our, our son, and so we, we needed to find a place that was reasonable to, to have a family. And so we thought, oh, well, let's move right next door to ISIS uh, in Turkey and <laughs> live on the border of Syria. And this is 2014, mm-hmm. and that was when um, the, the whole ISIS uh, thing was coming on to the, uh, the global scene, and, um, and so that... Uh, created a massive displacement of people, mostly um, uh, Syrians leaving into Turkey, which then eventually, you remember, they went into Greece and they mm-hmm. were moving across Europe. 
Uh, and so at the very beginning of that, we went right down to the border of Turkey and we just started trying to help those communities that were dealing with this massive movement of people coming across the border. The, the hardest part for us is that we were only 40 miles from the border of, of Syria and mm -hmm. that was where ISIS controlled the border. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about our own physical security in that context as a family, and then also trying to help people uh, in Jesus' name in, w when the government was not open to having uh, Christian organizations mm -hmm. publicly be there. It was a complicated time mm -hmm. in understanding how to uh, engage with communities that don't necessarily want your help because of your Christian identity. Mm -hmm. The difference between South Sudan and a place like Turkey is just it's harder ground hmm. to try and uh, establish those relationships that really uh, trust is there and you're working towards similar goals. Uh, and so it was a new experience for me, the first time working in a Muslim context mm -hmm. uh, and really uh, coming to understand and appreciate uh, in, a, in a deeper way that history, uh, the background that's there and how Samaritan's Purse fits into all that. This is why I love this Meet the Staff, because I want people to hear the hearts of the people that are carrying out the projects around the world. Um, so for people listening, I mean, they're probably like, how in the world do you do that? How did God prepare you guys to do that and lay down your lives, literally? Mm -hmm. um, and, and were family supportive? How did they feel about that? Because those are two really difficult countries. Yeah, well, I, I guess the first thing I have to say is it, it's not necessarily best practice or recommended mm -hmm, to spend mm -hmm. your first year of your marriage yeah. in a war zone. <laughs> uh, it worked out the, uh, for us. For Gabby and I, what was most important uh, when when we got married is that uh, we were willing to go wherever mm -hmm. uh, we we were called to go. Uh, now you have to use wisdom to know how to how to figure all that stuff out mm -hmm, and understand mm -hmm. it. Um, I, I was thinking actually. Um, about measures of success in a way. Hmm. And there, there's, there's so many different ways to define it because there's so many different voices that are trying to compete for how we as, as a society or even as in our own minds would say, this is what successful is. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think that um, the countercultural thing is to say that obedience to Jesus is the definition. Mm -hmm. We have very, very imperfectly <laughs> tried to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, like, Lord, what is it you're calling us to do? And and we'll just try to do that. We'll, we'll try to be faithful mm -hmm. to whatever you're calling us to do. When you're in those places, things are so raw and there, there's fewer masks. Mm -hmm. But when you're in mm -hmm. those places where there's death and dying and there's people that are being forced to flee their homes, uh, it, it, you're, you're just in touch in a way uh, mm -hmm. with, with things about being human that sometimes we don't have an opportunity to be in touch with when we come from really safe places like, like many communities mm -hmm. in America. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that answers your question, but uh, it's, it's, it's something that um, we kind of came to Boone kicking and screaming mm -hmm. a little bit because mm -hmm. we wanted to be in those places. Mm -hmm. That's where we felt comfortable. Mm -hmm. And uh, But now we're here, so mm -hmm. I guess the Lord leads everybody in different ways. <laughs> no, and that's what I wanted to ask because not all, but a lot of our staff have served over the world. And yeah, they they don't want to come back to safety and comfort, which sounds crazy. And I think that's why I love I love projects and I love you guys because that's how we felt with the military. I would rather go back to deployments and um, crazy life because it stripped us of mm -hmm. our security and I had to depend on the Lord and 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 know that Edward was his. So I think that 
just, yeah, surrendered and I'm willing to go wherever you would go. And I love allowing people to see that moving here is a sacrifice, you know, for some people like you guys who would love to serve and go wherever. And so we're so thankful um, that you listen to the Lord and you um, are surrendered to His because we need your leadership and expertise here, you know, at headquarters to make decisions around the world. And here we are, you know, we were back in Turkey. So again, I feel like the Lord prepared you, you know, and you were able to probably execute decisions and, you know, think because you'd lived and worked Mm -hmm. and served there. So yeah, what was that even like, you know, dealing with a response who would have ever thought we'd be able to set that up? Yeah, I I thought it was an absolute miracle that we were invited to go Mm -hmm. back to Turkey. Mm -hmm. Um, We weren't uh, able to to get a permanent presence there. You know, just the door never opened. Hmm. And so when this earthquake happened, I thought, oh, well, we'll just send some stuff. They (laughs) They won't let us come back. And I was wrong. And the Lord did open that door, and we've been able to serve there in an incredible way. You you can't say never, right? Mm-hmm. Like God mm-hmm. God has things that He has in store, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about uh, what we do here at Samaritan's Purse is that when those moments of crisis happen, all of a sudden the way that people have thought before, or the systems that they've put in place, or the things they thought were really important that weren't, all that it's now back on the table. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. and and that's the thing about what what are we trying to do here? We're trying to seek first God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we're trying to point everything to Jesus and say He's the most important thing. And in a moment of crisis, mm-hmm. that's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. That it's an opportunity to reorient everything to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you were talking, you know, I thought you've been on the ground. You know, you've been in the field, but now you're back here at headquarters, and so you're kind of seeing the big full picture. And I I thought of Aaron Holzhauer said, you know, when you're in the field. You can get so fixated on what's in front of you, like your patient or she's a nurse. So she, her patient, she would be so fixated, but she would have to listen to the commands back at headquarters because they see the whole picture. And she's, she described it as like a tree. You know, she sees the tree in the forest, but headquarters sees the whole forest. So you have to listen to the leadership and the guidance because it is hard. You want to help everybody and you want to do everything. And when you're there, we just can't do it all. Um, so you have to listen to the leadership and the management here making the decision. So what is it like now? being here, making decisions for the people on the ground? It's a, it's a hard question to answer uh, because there's so much uh, weight to it. Like mm-hmm. there's a sense of uh, great, great responsibility in making decisions about these uh, life and death situations, mm-hmm. critical junctures of time in places that are far away with their own language and mm-hmm. their own economic uh, situations and their histories. And th- there's so much happening. So at headquarters, we have a perspective, and we're mm-hmm. seeing uh, the probably the most of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's also critical information that's coming up from the field at the same time. Having prayer as mm-hmm. a as a as a part of that is is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Like the Lord actually is acting in history, mm-hmm. right? So He's actually our leader. Mm-hmm. He's the one who gets to direct us. Mm-hmm. He's the one who gets to move Samaritan's Purse in a direction, you know, and guide us to these places in the world where he wants us to do stuff. Mm-hmm. You can't mm-hmm. take it lightly. Mm-hmm. Like you you have to understand where your team is. You have to understand uh, where your donors are. There's all this information that has to come in. And yet it's like, Lord, what are you doing right now? Should we take this risk or should we slow down? Should we, but you have to keep moving at the same time. Mm-hmm. You can't not make a decision. Like mm-hmm. you have to make the decisions when they're mm-hmm. coming. So there's some, sa- there's like a sacredness, I guess, mm-hmm. to it. And when these incident management teams and the disaster assistance response team 
moments come up, it feels that way to me, where it's mm-hmm. like, this is holy ground. Every time I ask somebody, how can we be praying? Most of the time they'll say, for wisdom. You know, mm-hmm. we want wisdom. We want to be dependent on the Lord. We want to hear from Him. Um, they're not wanting to do it in their own strength or, you know, get accolades or anything. It's, we want, we want to be under His protection and provision and we want him guiding us and so i will ask i know you you shared scripture earlier but i i know being in god's word is what sustains you through all these hard times so are there other scriptures that have carried you or encouraged you in in difficult situations yeah um one of the things that um is a just a part of SP is pressure, mm-hmm. right? So there's always a sense of pressure, and so one of one of the uh, the things about pressure is that uh, I, I think about what would Jesus do in the midst of the pressure, mm-hmm. and so I go back over and over again to this passage from John chapter 13, mm-hmm. and this is the moment when Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to suffer and die for us and take on the sins of the world, and so there is no greater moment of pressure than what Jesus experienced at that moment. And I just want to read this is what he did. It says, before the feast of the Passover, when the Jew- Jesus knew that his hour had come and he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then it goes on to describe how Jesus washed his disciples' feet, including the feet of Judas Iscariot. Mm-hmm. And I just think that when we're in these moments of pressure as leaders, we got to look to Jesus for his example. Mm. And at the greatest moment of pressure in history, uh, he washed his disciples' mm-hmm. feet. Uh, and so I hope that's what we all do as mm-hmm. Samaritan's Purse, even when we feel the pressure uh, and the responsibility that God has called us to, uh, that we do what Jesus would have done. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed hearing Dave Phillips' story. And, and the scripture he shared and the stories that he's seen and witnessed uh, through the work of Samaritan's Purse. It's so clear when I talk to, to all of our leadership, uh, but Dave especially, uh, that God is working in and through him to do great things for the kingdom. Please pray for Dave as he leads and serves in the international projects and pray for wisdom for Samaritan's Purse staff as we respond all around the world. Thank you so much for listening and have a great week.